Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill. This is Jill's Journals Out Loud. And today that I'm recording this is what? Today is Wednesday. It is September 28th. I'm not exactly sure how that happened. 2022. And my intention is to upload it. Who knows if we'll have internet or cell service. So deep breath. I hope you hear this because... Uh, I've been thinking about something that I think is very important and also very uh, shoved off into the corner uh, while those of us are, you know, paying attention to the big things that are going out. And it's kind of a takeoff of the conversation that we had in the last podcast. But I want to talk about kindness. And for me, the word kindness, and I wanted to look it up with the Uh, etymology is but I can't get online right now in terms of the origin of the word so if I can get online I'll add that to if I remember add that to the description here for the podcast but uh, it's always fascinating to me what the real uh, word means versus how we interpret it into in the modern world but you know to me kindness is one of those things that goes on the back burner like peace and healing Uh, They don't seem important because, you know, as we've talked about, you know, I run through the filter of survival, not comfort. And I put comfort and peace and healing under comfort. Uh, Survival, uh, whatever it takes, right? Do the hard thing. Run into the danger. uh, Be as uncomfortable as it requires in order to get stuff done. And uh, I was listening to someone else talk about kindness and how you know in the wild uncertainty of everything that's happening right now uh, one of the only things that we could do is to be kind to each other and you know what I've been taking away you know lately is I do want peace I need healing so maybe it's time that I take a look at kindness and Uh, So I've been thinking a lot about it because it's one of those things like peace and healing. You know, it's good to be on the receiving end of kindness sometimes. But the giving side of it, choosing to be kind is different. uh, Because that's what you need to do, not what somebody's doing for you. And what are all the barriers that we stick in front of kindness? Uh, And, you know, one of the things that I've become acutely aware of, you know, now that I'm in the proximity of other people, is my capacity to be either peaceful or kind is wildly impacted by how I feel, right? For, For me, my little ADHD brain is still wildly dysregulated I'm starting to feel slightly stable again but not exclusively I still am having you know short temper and outburst Uh, fatigue wildly impacts my capacity to be kind and uh, desire apparently is also a key component there I'm not sure that I have that much desire to be kind Uh, and I think what's behind the kindness especially uh, with people that we don't know or in situations that we have, uh, you know, judgment about. Uh, we withhold kindness because we ask that question, do you deserve it? And I 
like all of us, run that through the comfort and safety filter. Uh, if my kindness threatens my safety, I will be cruel, right? Uh, if my kindness creates comfort for you, I can do that when my safety issues have been uh, satisfied. Now, uh, I'm bringing this up because, you know, we're, I wish you guys, could, the elk are bugle slash screaming in the background, I wish you guys could hear that. So, you know, I think that that's important because, uh, you know, I, I am so appreciative of all the kindness that comes to me. I try to give kindness in the ways that I know how and have the energy and capacity to do. So I think the real breakdown is how we interpret what kindness is. And I think that's important because I think that's where we get our hurt feelings and we get uh, angry or we get, uh, you know, vindictful, passive aggressive, revengeful, right? You weren't kind to me in the way that I wanted you to, so I'm going to withhold. Uh, and I think it's less about, you know, what needs to be true for everybody else and more about sorting it out because if we don't that really impacts our capacity to be peaceful and to heal and uh, as much as I say oh I don't care about peace and healing I do when I don't have either one so you know it becomes a priority system you know survival without comfort uh, is okay in the short term but it's no way to live a life uh, I had actually recorded a kind of a short podcast for you that uh, I wasn't able to put up. Uh, I was calling it my New Mexico standoff because, you know, in the middle of our water crisis, which is still ongoing, I realized that, uh, you know, my fear about not having water was my thing versus uh, other people's discomfort which moves into denial right I don't want to deal with it and so uh, you know we we get into these right now I think with all of us in our personal relationships you know we're in this standoff you know which is more important my fear of what may happen or is happening versus your inability to look at it your need to deny it uh, and again you know that really runs through the the filter of survival uh, safety and comfort right my need to be safe trumps uh, my need to be comfortable your need to be comfortable trumps your need to be safe and when we have two wildly different perspectives we're going to clash you know and in a world of infinite resources and access and mobility right we can just pick up and go but what happens when you can't move or leave or fight that you're stuck with this standoff of, uh, you know, I want safety, you want comfort, and all we're going to do is beat each other up about it, right? That's the New Mexican standoff. And neither one of them, fear or denial, is a good place to be. But both have positives. And 
And that's where kindness comes in, right? The ability to see past the standoff of fear and denial and ask yourself, okay, well, uh, what would the kind thing to do be? And then it becomes more complex. And so I, you know, I'm going to run through all this with you, not because uh, it's the most important thing you can do with your time today, but it's very important on the spiritual journey uh, because it's not going to ever look okay at the physical ego world level. It will never be balanced. These are the stuff I'm going to bring up. These are internal questions. These are journaling questions. These are the kinds of things that your spiritual journey requires you to think about if you want to move forward. But there may be times in our very near future where you will have to make decisions that are life and death based on not just safety and comfort, but kindness. And I don't have the answer. I mean, that's what's been shocking to me as I think about these things. I don't know what the right answer is. And I don't think there is a right answer. I think each of it is situational and independent. But uh, I think it's a good exercise for those of you who really like doing the internal work. Uh, for those of you who don't, you probably, you know, want to check out because we're going deep. And so this all started, uh, you know, when our water shorted out and I watched how everybody was responding and I wanted the water back on immediately because in my mind, if there's parts that need to be ordered, they may not be available. Uh, if the electricity goes out in the near future, we don't have any extra water stored because, you know, we never got around to that as a, as a group. I do, but just for me. Uh, and how people all reacted very differently, right? I'm over here figuring out how to get water. You know, other people are planning a party. And there were lots of others who don't live here who immediately stepped up to fill the water gap. They brought barrels. They brought containers. Uh, there was uh, a lot of support, which to me is kindness, right? You're having a problem, and it's very kind to share with your neighbor, uh, which you can do when there's abundance. You can do that when the cars work because at this point, you know, there's no physical water here. So we have to physically go get it or it needs to be physically brought to us. And, and if you're like me, if you've carried water for 10 plus years now, it's heavy and you can't physically carry very much at one time. So without transportation, water is an issue. But I also was thinking about the immediate reaction. And what if we were down to the last gallon of water with nobody bringing more water in? Now, the reason I bring that up is because uh, what I'm learning is some people will give away everything they have regardless of the cost to themselves. They will give you the last of their water. Uh, I remember being in uh, the grocery store in Crestline, California before I ever embarked on all this and uh, I ran into, you know, it was somebody that I was like a dog friend with. Uh, you know, we never really uh, developed 
a solid friendship. We were friendly, you know, I'd been to her house, she'd been to mine, but, but we weren't, you know, like everyday kind of friends. We just shared the, the dog experience. And I was in the store trying to get uh, ginger ale and saltines because I didn't feel good, you know, and I didn't have a lot of money and I, you know, pricing out the saltines. Uh, and she says, do you, let me give you $10. And I'm like, well, do you have extra? She goes, no, this is my last 10, but she'll give me her last bit of money. Uh, and I can't take it. You know, we sat there and we did that, you know, she tried to give it to me and I kept putting it back in her pocket. You know, we did that back and forth thing because I'm not that kind, you know, I won't give you the last of what I have at the sacrifice of myself because I filter through survival right and so I thought you know I, I appreciated what she was doing but I don't have the capacity to take the last of what you have and I don't have the capacity to give you the last of what I have now again I don't think there's any right or wrong about the situation because you know fast forward to here and now right and so uh if it's if I have one gallon of water left, do I hide it and just take care of me and Haven? Do I share it because there are God? What are there like? There's now there's three humans and uh, two cats and seven eight dogs now. So a gallon of water will last like two minutes. So is it better? to share that last gallon with everybody or is it better to hoard it and try to extend my personal survival uh, I don't think I could do it and not be resentful and so is giving of any is kindness of any value if you have an internal resentment um, and you know and that resentment is based on the fact that uh, nobody planned, right? Everybody wanted to party. Nobody wanted to plan. And so the planners resent the partiers, right? But uh, when it survival becomes in the forefront of deny of the mind of denial for those who want comfort, and then survival becomes all of a sudden real because we're at we're thirsty and we're hungry and we can't do anything about it. It's hard to not feel resentful if you're a planner, right? If you've prepared. Uh, and, you know, I felt that way about the dog situation. You know, where there's a constant stream of loose dogs out in the world uh, in this property. And soon I think it will be even worse. Uh, I had to make the emotional decision that I can't help all the dogs. There's no end to the need of dogs being hungry and thirsty and alone and so I took one and that's the best I can do and so my responsibility in my mind is just taking care of me and her but I'm in physical proximity to others now what if I was the stranger what if I was walking up and all they had was one gallon would they share it with me and I would see that as a kindness but that's not necessarily a kindness I am willing to extend. Uh, I, you know, like I said, I don't, you know, and then there's all these stories, right, where uh, that tiny kindness uh, becomes something that blesses you 
in the future or you know that tiny kindness uh, gets you uh, hit over the head and locked in the basement right so it's there is no simple answer to this but the reason I'm running through this exercise is because I can see and I value kindness but I am acutely aware of how different it feels when the safety system out in the world ends. Uh, I'm acutely aware of how our different value systems uh, are tied up and what we interpret kindness to be and because we don't value the same things in regards to kindness uh, you know that that creates resentment and anger and uh, you know if it's the end of the world violence right I'm not gonna give you my gallon of water and you're gonna shoot me so you can take it and you know we don't think of those terms because we don't have that experience but you know working in the homeless populations they would kill each other over a nickel so you don't know what it's gonna be like until you're in that moment but we live in the protection of abundance. We live in the idea that there's somebody out there that will uh, pick up the slack, some agency, some institute, some system, some 911 version of somebody that I don't need to know will step in and extend the kindness that I don't want to do and I can let that go and I don't have to think about it and I don't have to own the consequences of it right I don't have to hide my water and pretend I don't have any right because that would be one option uh, I don't have to decide to share it uh, or I can decide to share it now if I decide to share it could I do it without being angry and resentful I don't know because the bottom line is is that one gallon of water it's not going to keep me alive indefinitely and it's it's not going to probably alter my survival versus our survival so again I can see why this wouldn't feel important but I feel like it's going to be very important because um, it's not about our experience out in the world I think this is our personal growth spiritual experience and right now you know to me that's what all of these big things are about you know there's a practical aspect to survival uh, but there still is a in fact it's so it's just so there's so much potential to develop yourself spiritually right now I mean you just this is the kind of lifetime that's like a one in a million lifetime so doing the spiritual work now uh, is one of the most powerful things you can do for the journey of your soul and spirit and uh, and it's hard you know I think this idea that somehow you're one and done right you just never know how you're gonna react in the next situation you never know which little pockets of darkness and uh, brokenness still exist within you that still need to be cleaned out and you know that's one of my frustrations is we we seek answers and we think that oh you know I'm enlightened and I'm done and I don't have to think about this anymore there's never a moment in which we're done we get breaks we get rests, we get timeouts uh, and to me that's the kindness of the universe it allows us downtime it gives us recovery it gives us breaks but 
the journey always starts back up. You know, I'm actually uh, on my little laptop here. I'm doing it, you know, my one shot, no edit. But I, the picture I have on my laptop is, you know, beautiful mountains and a plane with a highway into infinity. And to me, that's what life is, right? Uh, sometimes there's great mountains and valleys. Sometimes there's flat spaces, but the road forward is endless. And and so, you know, I started taking this kindness conversation a little bit further, right? So if you're an alcoholic, is it kindness to buy alcohol for the alcoholic? Uh, is it kindness to uh, take care of them when they are uh, hungover? Uh, and, you know, we call that enabling. But, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are, have alcoholic uh, friends and family members, you know, in their 70s and 80s. And, you know, if you're 85 and you're an alcoholic, you're not getting sober. So maybe the kindness is to buy the alcohol at the end, right? But if you're 25, is it kindness to supply the alcohol? Is it kindness to get you out of jail? Is it kindness to not let you experience the consequences of your choices. <coughs> Sorry. Every time I do this, then I need water and I can't drink. So, uh, you know, that's that what is it's the same thing with charity. What is helpful and what is uh, just uh, a never ending hole of need, right? Because nothing changes the behaviors don't change the victim the victim uh positioning of the victim doesn't change at what point is kindness not supporting the behavior that is destructive uh, and these are all very very individual calls right like a three-year-old doesn't have the capacity to understand that they can't run into the street right so it's kindness to be protective of the three-year-old but the 30-year-old that's running into the tra street with traffic is it kindness to continue to uh, keep stopping them from hurting themselves you know are they so mentally ill that they can't or are they mentally ill because they won't take their medications uh, you know there's no simple answers about this and and again, the reason I'm running through this exercise with you all and myself is that, you know, I can understand the intellectual idea of kindness in the same way I can with peace and healing. Uh, but the practical aspect of kindness changes radically when uh, your survival is on the line. And... Uh, and, and the flip side is, you know, for those of us who are what I call the wired for danger, everything about your wiring is to sacrifice your life for a total stranger. And that's why I was laughing about the irony with the gallon of water. Like, I would hide my gallon of water. I'd have to think about whether I wanted to share it or not. But if somebody was trying to hurt you, I would step in before I could even think about whether I wanted to step in or not because that my instinct, my wiring, my nervous system is to protect in a danger emergency situation. But when it's a timeout, when it's water, right, 
I have to think about it. You know, if I put myself in between you and somebody who's trying to hurt you, there's a really good chance I'm going to end up dead. But as I sit with my gallon of water and I watch you be thirsty and cry and your animals are crying, I have to think about it. And I do not understand uh, what the difference is because I find the irony behind that fascinating where uh, I would easily throw myself in front of somebody who was trying to hurt someone whether I like them or not it would be so instinctual I wouldn't be able to stop myself but even somebody I cared for deeply if I have time to think about it I might not be helpful I might not be kind I might decide that it's more important that you experience the consequences of your behavior but that, but am I? Who am I to make that decision? Who am I to create judgment around that? Right? It's not my. I I don't know what the answers are. I was just fascinated by these ideas because I don't have to think about it when uh, the world functions because I can turf it out. Right? You know, when I was a social worker, it, it was not about healthcare. It was about uh, turfing people out to the net. It was all about moving you to the next person or the next place or the next uh, step in the system. It was never about helping. It was just about getting you out of this seat into somebody else's chair. So you weren't my problem and I didn't have to think about it. And that was institutional, not personal, right? The entire healthcare system, phys- you know, mental or medical is about getting the person to the next spot or to the last spot, whether that's jail, whether that's a psychiatric hospital, uh, whether it's a a residential medical facility, right? Like at some point there's an end of the line, uh, but, but everybody knew who the end of the line was. And so you just kept pushing them out to the next place. Are you good enough that you can go home or do you need to get pushed out uh, to the next place for someone else to take care of you? Because we can't do that here. We're not uh, set up. It's too expensive. There's too many resources that need to be used. There's too much need. You know, when I was in Phoenix eight million years ago, at that time, I think there was like, I know when I first moved there, there was like 2.3 million. I think after 10 years, it was like another million. But so there's like 3 million people and they literally had four crisis beds for people who were suicidal. Four. Can you imagine that? At 3 million people, the city has four crisis beds, meaning uh, the county, uh, the government, you know, institution has a holding place. And from there, you know, there were uh, behavioral hospitals but there were only four crisis beds. Well, needless to say, uh, those were never available. And uh, I remember once, you know, somebody hung themselves outside because they couldn't get help and they were desperate. And, and so you can have these conversations in comfort when there are institutions available to turf the problem out to. So I don't have to fix the water. I don't have to share my water. Uh, I don't have to hide my water because we have electricity and we have gas and the cars still work. And so water 
can be moved around because there's people willing to do the work to bring water here. Is that a kindness? I don't know because there's no consequences to the behavior, right? So if people keep bringing you alcohol, you're not going to withdraw. So you're never going to know what the consequences of being an alcoholic are. Uh, and I was thinking how, you know, we talk about addiction as if it's something specific, but you know, we're all addicted. We all have our points of addiction. You know, I think mine is control and survival, right? Uh, that to me is absolutely necessary. And I'm trying to look at that and I'm trying to decide, you know, where I can soften that up. Uh, you know, it can be uh, afraid of being alone. It can be, you know, we're addicted to chaos. It can be we're addicted. I guess I'm addicted to being alone. I'm addicted to solitude and silence. And, uh, you know, people are addicted to to being helpful you know we we call these things all kinds of names but I did a, a podcast a while back about you know how evil is addicted evil is addicted to power it's addicted to control it's addicted to pain and suffering uh, causing it because that's its food source you know evil needs pain and suffering to get its fix uh, I don't know if any of you ever watched uh, I just lost the name of the show. Shoot, it was uh, it was a spinoff of Doctor Who. Uh, I can see all the people, but I can't remember the name of it. But they did a you know the series closed, and then they did a four part uh, extension. And this was before uh, I knew all this other stuff. I know the name is almost popping into my head. And uh, Torchwood, that's it, Torchwood. It's British, but it was led by uh, the main character was an American guy, and you know, it was about space and aliens, and like I said, it was a Doctor Who uh, dimensional stuff spinoff. Well, the four-part series, and this is before I knew about all the pedophilia and all that kind of stuff at the level it was happening, uh, where these aliens took control of all the children on the planet, and uh, they said they were going to, uh, you know, they, they took control of everything, and they wanted a supply of children. And, uh, you know, it turns out, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, they had done a test run, right? They came in and they took like 20 kids. Well, they show you why they wanted the kids. And uh, because the kids were their drug, they, uh, they drugged them up and they drained their chemicals out of the children. And that's what, that's what pleasured the alien. Now, I was just listening to uh, someone talk about, you know, the pedophilia that's going on in our country and how pervasive it is. And, and I didn't understand it, you know, even when I was being a social worker, I didn't know about, I knew that it existed, but I didn't understand it, you know, at the complex levels. And, and so is it kindness to feed the addiction, right? Is it kindness to just keep ignoring what the addictions are because if we do that the problem is that eventually it becomes out of control and who's suffering in the meantime right so 
you know, and that's always been one of my issues is that people who are super victims are also super perpetrators because we get into this cycle and where is kindness the right response? And so, uh, again, I don't really have good answers. I just wanted to bring all this up because it got very real for me this last week about how I'm reacting, how other people are reacting. Uh, I don't know what I would do. Uh, I don't think there's a correct answer because, uh, you know, a last gallon of water isn't going to keep me alive, you know, what, another day than everybody else. Uh, I don't think I'd feel good about sharing it with, you know, people that I don't care about. But maybe the kindness is to, to care about people regardless, right? I mean, that is the more appropriate spiritual response. But I don't know if I can move past my own survival to get there and not feel resentful. And so, uh, you know, I haven't had to make any real decisions about that. And, uh, you know, I always do my best to be kind in the ways that are important to me. But I also recognize that others don't value that as kindness. Like we filter in what's kind through what's important to us, not what's important to the other person or the groups or the institutions or the culture, right? Culturally, uh, there's a lot of variation in what is considered kindness. Uh, Is it Bhutan that that's, you know, their... Uh, happiness is the most important thing. So they focus a lot on kindness. Uh, you know, Tibet, I've talked about that movie, Seven Years in Tibet. They are so kind, right? They would, they would sift the dirt and take and relocate the worms in the dirt because they didn't want to hurt the dirt. And, you know, everything about their culture was so kind They had no guns. They had no defense systems. And so when the Chinese invaded, they had, they were completely slaughtered, right? And was it kind to the people of Tibet to have no infrastructure to protect them? You know, I, it would feel that way while everything was okay. It wouldn't feel that way you know, when somebody's shooting you or setting you on fire. So uh, there, this is not a conversation with an answer. Uh, This is a discussion about a concept that's important for the spiritual journey that has zero uh, 100% resolution in the physical world. Because, uh, you know, I would say, you know, I'm constantly trying to rescue the bugs, right? I don't like to kill anything. And Haven loves these little stink bugs. And, you know, the stink bugs, their defense mechanism is to stick their rump up in the air and be stinky, although I don't think I've ever smelled them. And she likes to play with them. But because their legs are fragile, they, they end up just being hurt. And so when I see that, you know, I'm trying to be kind by rescuing them from her and relocating them. But, you know, 50% of the time they're damaged. Uh, Is it kinder to let them live 
damaged or would it be kinder to let her kill them? Uh, you know, I notice by the end of the season, although there haven't been, which is weird to me, I hate to say this out loud, there haven't been that many grasshoppers up here, but by the end of the season, like almost all the grasshoppers are missing a leg, right? There's just something that goes on with the grasshoppers that they get damaged. Uh, is it kindness? Uh, survival? I don't know. You know, about 50% of the bugs or the animals I try to rescue, I end up hurting or killing. So is it better to just do nothing or is it better to try to help the bug even though half the time I end up killing the bug in my attempt to rescue the bug? Uh, I don't have answers to these questions and these are the tiny struggles uh, that I like to sort out as I try to understand the bigger picture to all of this. and. Uh, and, you know, I, I will go back before we end up here because the sun is finally coming up. You know, one time, uh, I don't remember how old I was. It was a while ago. It was when I was still part of the real world. And I must have been in my uh, early 30s. And uh, there was a lady, I think I've even said this multiple times, but I'm gonna, this is a good story, right? So she, uh, her name was Hilda, and she, she was lovely, and she... Uh, she was a hairdresser, but she was doing spiritual work with people. And she'd have workshops, and people really loved and valued her. And I tried to reach out for her for help. And at one point in the conversation, she said uh, she got frustrated with me and said, you're not listening you just want me to tell you what you you just want me to tell you that you're right right so I was telling her how it is I wanted her to agree with me and she got super frustrated with me not because she was angry but she was just frustrated and now you know of course at the time I, I felt hurt I literally felt like she'd slapped me across the face but I pouted and you know had my feelings hurt for a long time but eventually I was able to understand what she was saying to me is that there was no receptivity. I was trying to ask her for help. I was unable to receive it because I needed to be right so I didn't have to, to look at myself, so I didn't have to change. I, did, I didn't have to do my work. I wanted everybody else to do theirs, right? And so, you know, I've tried to go back and find her uh, and say thank you because even though it was it didn't feel like a kind moment she was actually doing me a favor it was a kindness at the spiritual level that she gently slapped me you know me metaphorically enough to wake me up to allow me to grow as a human being and become a better person at least i think so and it's it never ends right there's always we, we never get 100% there. And so, you know, this idea that the spiritual journey is that we're enlightened and then we just bliss out and that's the end of it, uh, I think it's going to be a rude awakening because our systems aren't going to allow for us to just bliss out in a cave and have people deliver us food, right? We're not going to be able to just say, uh, you owe me, you owe me money, you owe me health care, you owe me... Uh, you need to take care of me because I don't want to do the work, right? I want to drink and I want to lay in my vomit. You need to pay somebody to come 
clean me up. That's just not going to exist in the future. And there may be kindness. People may choose to do that. Uh, and we get to choose who we want to do that for. But it's going to be a really interesting path forward. And so uh, I've been thinking about it a lot. You know, what is kindness? Uh, you know, I can think about the times where I've been fragile and broken and, uh, you know, in this journey at the beginning, not so much now, but in the beginning, uh, you know, where people would just step in and be kind. You know, uh, being here was a kindness to let me come here, right? So there's people, we do kindness in the best way that we can, but it doesn't mean that uh, it's received uh, and sometimes kindness is the thing that doesn't look kind in the moment and uh, I think we're moving into a really interesting period where uh, our values are becoming very front and center uh, and, you know, this experience for me has been uh, highly focused about my imbalances, about uh, survival. And, you know, I, you know, I do this stuff with you because I want you to survive. Uh, but I don't know how important that is, right? I don't know what the value is for everybody else. And... Uh, like I said in the, long, the last podcast, the fact that you guys take something and then make your world better, that is my value. But that's not everybody's value. And so uh, we're going to wrap it up because I've been blathering on a long time about this idea. But I think it's a really interesting discussion with our journaling process. I don't know that you can really have it with other people because uh, I think if you say things like, if I went up to everybody and said, you know, I'm seriously thinking about hiding my last gallon of water from everybody. Uh, I don't know that I would want to do that because if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, wow, that's really mean emotionally. Intellectually, I would say I would do the same thing, right? So intellectually, we understand things. Emotionally, we understand things. And those two things don't always meet in the middle. Uh, but what I absolutely get is there's no right answer, but there is a learning process and so I think if you can value the learning part of it it might take some of the edge off of the more difficult uh, questions is that uh, we're all just doing the best we can so nobody's response is the right response or the better response there's just your response and uh, I truly, truly, truly believe we're all doing the best we can. And, uh, and that is enough. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And it doesn't have to make sense to anybody but you. But I just, I cannot emphasize what a powerful moment in time this is. And as things break down, uh, we will be uh, confronted with questions that we've never had to answer because we've had these uh, comfort zones that have 
uh, really built in a false sense of safety, right? We've just been domesticated animals sitting inside the corral and the corral water walls are about to fall down and now we have to deal with life in a much more real way. And so it's very exciting. Uh, it's also very scary. And I think it will be very heartbreaking because there's just, uh, you know, I think about all the children that are suffering because we're unwilling to look at the truth. That is not kindness. Uh, you know, I think about all the animals that are suffering because we don't act responsibly, especially to dogs and cats. We've got two feral cats in the, the yard right now. That is not kindness. It is not kindness uh, to turn a blind eye. I think the kindest thing we can do is to really take a hard look in the mirror and within uh, and ask ourselves, you know, how, who are we out in the world uh, and and what does it mean to be kind? And it will be different at different times with different people in different situations. And then just trust that we're doing the best we can. You know, who I was at 30 is not who I am now. Uh, and if I lived to be 90, I would be totally different, right? I'd be looking back at me the same way the me is looking back at when I was 30. I'm just doing the best I can. You're just doing the best you can. Uh, and here we go. All right. So deep breath, my friends, and I will see you next time.